0: There we go. All right. First off, before we get into tonight's lesson, I want to thank everybody for the messages and the thoughts. Luca's feeling a little better, and hopefully with the medication that he's got, it'll, whatever he's got will go ahead and find its way on out, and he can get back to being, being himself. So tonight I want to talk about the hardest command of them all. And the, the context, the main scripture for tonight's lesson is going to come from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. It was an ordinary day in a small town in Colorado. Rachel, who many people believed and described as a devout Christian, because of that faith was bullied most of her high school years. She went to school like every other day. She went through first block and second block. And then as she, was, as, as she met her friend Richard at lunch, as they were discussing to the, the di- different events of that day, four bullets pierced her body. Eight bullets pierced Richard's. The shooter walked over to Rachel and he asked her a question. He said, do you still believe in your God? And she answered, you know that I do. That day, Rachel met the challenge that Jesus sets before us in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16 and verse 24 says that if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, the most difficult challenge in Christianity is found at the very beginning of that verse, if anyone desires. You see, the greatest challenge that we have is to make up our minds to do what God would have us to do. If anyone desires to come after me, then this is what is required of him. But before we are motivated to meet the prerequisites of, of that verse, we first have to have a desire in our hearts to come after Jesus. There must be a making up of our minds, so to speak. So tonight, I would like us to think a few minutes about Matthew 16 and verse 24, and then I want us to see the three essentials that are behind doing what God would have us to do. And then we'll have we'll look at an example of someone that did what God would have us to do and then hopefully we'll be encouraged to follow suit. So if you will turn over to Matthew 16 and we're going to start we're going to start in verse 13 and we're going to read to 24 to get the full context. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, "Who do men say that I the Son of Man am?" And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give the keys... "...of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "...far be it from you, Lord, that this shall not happen to you." And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Looking at verse 24, in reverse, there are three essentials that in doing, that will help us do what God would have us to do. And like I said, in reverse. In reverse. The first one is to follow me. Jesus says, follow me. You see, it's not enough to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. More is involved than just being immersed in water for the taking away of our sins. We must keep on in our lives following Jesus. And this, this charge that Jesus gives of follow me, it wasn't something that he just said one time. Jesus mentioned that many times through his ministry. In Matthew 8 and verses 20 through 22. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, that's a pretty harsh statement to say to someone who's, whose father's just died, but Jesus is letting that individual and us know that he, he's saying, I am more important than your family. Matthew 9 and verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. He was letting Matthew he was letting Matthew know that he's more important than any job. Matthew, in Matthew 19 and verses 16 through 22, there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And this rich, rich young ruler had everything that, that this world looks for. He was, he was uh, young. He was in his prime. He had wealth. He had position. He came to Jesus with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, keep keep the commandments. And he says, I've kept those from my youth. I've kept them. And then Jesus drops a bomb on this guy. He says, you go sell everything that you have. And you give it to the poor. And then follow me. Follow me. Jesus was telling him that he's more important than anything you have. In John chapter 1... And John chapter 1 and verse 43. And then the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Jesus came down to Galilee and he meets Philip and he says, Philip, follow me. And he says it in a context where Philip goes to Nathanael. and and he tells him we have found him of whom moses and the prophets spoke of jesus of nazareth and then with some kind of intellectual snobbery nathaniel says can anything good come out of nazareth you see nathaniel knew his bible and he knew that the messiah was to come from where bethlehem he was supposed to come from nazareth and in this context Philip met that charge of follow me. And by example, we learn that Jesus is more important than anything that we've learned or will ever learn. John chapter 21 and verses 18 and 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Even if it means your death, Rachel. Even if it means your death, because I'm more important than your life. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me, I'm more important than your family. I'm more important than your job. I'm more important than your possessions. I'm more important than your intellectual scholarship. I'm more important than your very life. And then he says, he keeps on telling us, keep on following me. Now let's place that, let's place that back into context. What motivated Jesus to say that? What motivated Jesus to make that statement? In Matthew chapter 16 and verses 21 through 23, Jesus alluded to his impending death talking about his crucifixion Peter in verse 22 he takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him far be it from you that this shall happen to you Lord and what does Jesus say to Peter what does he say he says get behind me Satan and he's reminding he's reminding us with what he said on the mount of temptation you know the devil tries to seduce Jesus he tells him, he says, if you'll fall down and you'll worship me, all this stuff that you see, it's going to be yours. And to which Jesus replied, it, Get thee hence, Satan, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. What Jesus said to the devil in Matthew 4 and verse 10, and what he said to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 23, are very similar, but with one addition. Okay? Okay? To the devil in Matthew 4, Jesus spoke literally two words, be gone. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter was out of place. We don't lead the Lord, brothers and sisters, he leads us. We don't correct the Lord, he corrects us. Peter needed that lesson. And thus Jesus said to him, you get behind me. You get behind me and you walk in my steps and do as I do. And then to the rest of his disciples, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and get behind me or follow me. And not only that, keep on following me. Now keep your finger in Matthew 16 and let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Its Scripture says, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Leaving us what? An example. An example for what? That you should follow His steps steps now that word translated example here literally means underwriting i remember when i was a young man i remember when i was a young man my my grandmother she would get us coloring books and i remember in those coloring books there was these big black bold lines and i remember that i remember that those those lines were so thick they served as borders and they were so thick that what you could do is you could take another piece of paper and you could put it over it and you could trace out that picture. So whenever you colored it, guess what? You had another 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 picture to color, didn't you? Now, it's the bold, thick lines that illustrate the example that Jesus has left, and it's the sheet of paper and our effort to try to trace the lines exactly that represent our putting forth an effort to follow in His steps I like to think about the footprints of Jesus on the shores of Galilee You know you think about that what size shoes did he wear Don't know that we'll never know that but you know something He left some pretty big shoes to fill I wonder how large that stride was that he had I'm never going to know that but I do know so to speak that if I place my if I place my foot in His footsteps, you know where that's going to lead me? To the destination I want to get to. Jesus tells us in our passage tonight, the first thing in reverse that we need to keep in mind, if we're going to make up our mind, we need to to keep on doing what He did, being what He was, and thinking as He thought. The second essential that we get from from the hardest command that's out there, is to take up his cross. Take up his cross. He says that. Now you think about a cross. What is a cross? It is a tool of execution, isn't it? And not only that, it's probably the most devastating way to die. It certainly was during antiquity. But you think of other ways, other methods of execution. You think of stoning. That's probably the oldest example of of execution if you go back to Abel but there's also other things there was something called the guillotine that was adopted by France in 1792 and it was created by a guy who wanted to make executions a little more humane but Jesus of all the words that he uses he uses the word cross now the the word cross is first uh excuse me The cross was first used by the Phoenicians and the Persians in the 6th century B.C. And it was later perfected in antiquity by the Romans. And we all know what that process looked like. Many people didn't make it out of the scourging part where your body was pretty much just almost beaten to death. And if you did make it past that, you had to basically carry your torture rack, if you will, to the place of your execution and then be placed by nails on that torture rack And it wasn't designed to last hours, it was designed to last days. Where a person, after many days, went stark raving mad for lack of water, food, exposure to the elements. And the knowledge of knowing that your death was coming very soon. And that's the word that Jesus used. And he uses it as if to say, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful... No matter how acute the sacrifice is, you be like me. By the way, the word cross is first used in the Bible in Matthew 10 and verse 38. And the first time that the cross is used in all the Bible, it's not used in reference to the cross of Jesus. It's actually used in reference to the cross that you and I have to bear. Galatians 2 Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5 and verse 24 And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In context to the, to the works of the flesh, we see that the, the works of the flesh are, are problems that are... They're problems getting along with people. They're purity problems. They're fractions and divisions. They're priority problems. Here are problems uh, remaining pure Here are problems with our priorities. Here are problems getting along with people. But verse 24, they who are Christ have crucified the flesh, which means no more struggles with purity. I have crucified the flesh, and by way of that I have crucified myself. Galatians 6 and verse 14 says... But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What that says is, I don't care what the way the world talks. I'm not going to be like the world. I ain't going to speak like the world. I don't care about the way the world dresses. I, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to pay attention to the world. I'm not going to be about the way the world dresses. You're going to be able to tell by the decisions that I make when I'm at my job, the decisions I make with my family, the decisions that I make in the type of entertainment that we enjoy. That's how you're going to know me. I'm not going to allow the world to seduce me into its grasp. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to die to the works of the flesh. And then I'm going to die to the world. That's what Jesus is saying there. And then finally tonight, the third thing, the third essential to following this command is to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Jesus says, make up your mind. He says, make up your mind. He says, come after me. But to do it, to be able to do that, there has to be discipleship. Jesus says, follow after me, but then there has to be a death to self. He says, take up your cross. And then there has to be a denial. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That word translated deny means literally to disassociate. It means literally to reject. It means literally to disown. And we have to remember that the person that Jesus was initially talking to here was Peter. And what did Peter do? Peter did some denying, didn't he? He denied the Lord three times. And in our context, Jesus says, if you're going to make up your mind to do what God would have you to do, you must disown yourself. We look at the world and we say, these are my taste. No more. We look at the world and people say, "These, these, these worldly goals, these are my goals. No more. This is what I we look at the world. and The world says this is what you live for. No more. Philippians 1. Philippians 1 and verses 20 and 21 says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. And this reminds us of what we read in Galatians 2 and verse 20. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And what does it take for me? What does it take for me once and for all to make up my mind and do what God would have me to do? What does it take? Well, I must disown myself. In other words, I need to say no to self. I must die to self and make whatever sacrifices are necessary to do that. I must become a disciple of Jesus and keep on following Him being like Him. In our main text of Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13, we see an example of somebody who did that. That was Jesus. That was the Lord Himself. Now, in, starting in verse 13, look at, watch the Lord deny himself. Jesus asked, who does, who does men say the Son of Man is? And Jesus has given one of the greatest of all comments. Because, see, Jesus, he holds, he holds an incredible reputation as a preacher at this time. And they answer, some say that you're John the Baptist. How many preachers today would love someone to compliment them that way and say, hey, you know what? You preach like John the Baptist. You're that guy. They say that you're that guy. That's a pretty incredible compliment. Others say that you're Elijah. That's the one everybody's waiting for. Others say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jeremiah was that weeping prophet that spoke, of the, spoke the word of the Lord in such a passionate way. You would be hard-pressed to have a greater reputation as a gospel preacher with those. But what does Jesus say in response to that reputation they've thrown on him? Immediately, Jesus ignores what's been said. Who do you, he, said, he asked a question, who do you say that I am? Jesus gives no attention to the reputation that he possessed. That's a denial of self, brothers and sisters. That's a denial of self. Who do you say that I am? And then the greatest of all compliments is given. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Christ, you are Christus. You are the Greek, Christos is the Greek equivalent to the Old Testament Messiah. You're God's anointed, His anointed priest, His anointed prophet, His anointed king. That's who you are. And not only are you God's anointed priest, God's anointed king, God's anointed prophet, but you're also God's son. And what does Jesus say in response to that compliment? Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18. Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus was constantly thinking. And he wasn't thinking of himself. He wasn't thinking of these compliments and these accolades that people threw at him. That's a denial of self, brothers and sisters. And then in verse 21, he begins to show the apostles that he must suffer many things from the, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And that he would be killed on the third day and he would be raised. Do you know that that thought never left Jesus? That thought never left Jesus. I would dare say it haunted him. In the next chapter, in Matthew 17 and verse 3, Jesus is speaking on the mount of transfiguration to Moses and Elijah. Luke's account of this in Luke 9 tells us that they were specifically talking, they were speaking about his his death or his decease. Jesus is willing to die to Himself and to die for others. Not only a denial, not only a death, but watch Jesus' discipleship. You see, Jesus is fixing to do the bidding of someone else. Verse 21 says, Jesus says in verse 21, I must go to Jerusalem and I must experience these things. And why did He have to do that? Because he came not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent him. He was doing the bidding of someone else. And so when Jesus calls us, when he calls for us to have a denial of self, when he calls us to have a death to self, when he calls us to have a discipleship, when he calls us to To follow the will of someone else. Brothers and sisters. He's not requiring us to do anything. That he hasn't already done. And so we come. And so as we close tonight. We come back to the first phrase of our passage. Which paraphrased says. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. If any man would. Make up your mind. What gets in the way of us making up our mind is a refusal to say no to self. It's a refusal to die to self. And it's a refusal to be like Jesus. The year 1809 was a pretty interesting year. Napoleon was wreaking havoc across Europe going into Austria. But at the same time, in the same year, in Liverpool, there was a great future statesman that was born whose name was William Gladstone. You might have heard of him. And in that same year, in a place called Lincolnshire, there was a great poet born by the name of Alfred Tennyson. And in the same year, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, there was a man born by the name of Oliver Wendell Holmes. And in the same year in Heartland County, Kentucky, there was a little boy born who grew up tall and lanky, and his friends called him Abe. And while Napoleon was storming across Austria, there was some young people being born that ultimately made their mark on their generation. That didn't happen by accident, brothers and sisters. They made a mark on their generation because... They made up their mind to do something, to be something. And I would submit to you tonight that we, as children of God, can make a mark on our generation if we would just make up our minds. What I don't... what. I'm not going to do what I want to do, but I'm going to do what he bids me to do. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live and die to self. And I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be like Jesus. But brothers and sisters, we've got to make up our mind. And the way to start, the way to start that... If you're not a child of God, then you've got the opportunity tonight to make up your mind and become a child of God while we stand and we sing.